0: Thanks be to God. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers in the room. And if you're visiting for that reason, thanks for joining us for worship. I hope you find this time of worship to be meaningful, enriching, and and challenging. Um, What was originally intended to be a single sermon has morphed into two. And probably could be three or four, but we're going to call it quits. Um, not, Not... for everything but for this sermon calling it quits after this week and we'll move on to Matthew chapter 7 but we are continuing today the conversation we started last week in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus begins warning his followers about the dangers the pursuit of wealth presents for discipleship and it was a warning that began like this do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth The reason being, those treasures won't last. And if they do last for a while, they're not going to bring security or fulfillment. Those are empty promises that the people of God must not believe. Instead, he says, focus on a wealth of a different kind. Focus on kingdom wealth. That is something that actually lasts and and has some meaning to it. One of the points he makes is that because of the fleeting nature of the material goods we can possess, the game of accumulation will often lead us into a place of anxiety or worry. Do I have enough? Am I getting ahead? How do I stack up when I compare myself to my peers? Brian Zond, who pastors a church in St. Joseph, Missouri, put it this way. And since I first heard it, it has always stuck with me. He said, when life is viewed as a competitive game of acquisition, the strain to stay on top can lead to pathological anxiety and a litany of foolish decisions. Then he says this, life is not a game. Life is a gift. The purpose of life is not to win. The purpose of life is is to learn to love well maybe you think of the words of jesus greatest commandment to love the lord your god and to love your neighbor as yourself the purpose of life is not to win it is to learn to love well it has been said that to be human is to be anxious when we feel threatened in some way whether it be real or perceived an almost default instinctual response is to have some feeling Feeling of anxiety rush over us. It's maybe a part of that classic fight-or-flight response. If, if there's a threat, my heart begins to race, and I make a split-second decision, uh, split decision on how best to respond given the particulars of the situation. And in some sense, this biological wiring can be a gift. This, this is a part of our survival in this world. So when I speak of anxiety, Today I'm not talking about that. I also want to be careful to note that I am not a psychologist. You know that, but if you're new or visiting, I am not a psychologist, I'm, I'm not a therapist, and I understand, I recognize there are psychological conditions that may be accompanied by heightened anxiety. So this conversation requires a degree of sensitivity to the complexity of those realities. In a moment, we are going to hear or read Jesus say, don't be anxious. Do not be anxious. But there's more to it than that. It's not just an instruction, don't do this. There are instances where one can't simply snap a finger or will themselves into an anxiety-free state. And I don't think that's what Jesus is actually suggesting here. It's sort of like telling somebody, don't think about a yellow car. Okay, well, immediately, all I'm doing is picturing myself cruising around in a yellow convertible, inspiring envy and all. Just telling me not to do something doesn't make that a reality. In fact, if somebody says, don't worry about that, my immediate response is to worry about that. Telling me not to do it alone may not be helpful again I don't think that's what Jesus does here and I have some experience as a human who has a tendency to worry about a variety of things I get that there are some probably some in this room who are completely unfazed by basically anything like hey your hair's on fire that's fine it will be extinguished at some point That is hyperbole, but not by much. That there are people who seem that carefree. That's not my experience in life on this earth. This is something, to be quite honest with you, that I have to wrestle with. And again, I don't think this is just Jesus saying, cut it out. I think he is offering us a way out, a path. Offering us a lifeline out of that disposition. So let's return to Matthew 6 verse 25, where we read this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now again, it's important to keep in mind where this argument has been progressing from. Jesus seems to be speaking specifically of an anxiety that is closely connected to that rat race of life that we spoke of last week. Where we are straining and striving to secure for ourselves the future we want. And I personally know that an anxiety of that sort exists because I have felt it. We focused on this last week, that rat race, the game of accumulation or acquisition. And it's a game that almost always leads us into anxiety because it is all but impossible to succeed at that game. Because even if we amass heaps of stuff and heaps of wealth, the goalpost is always moving. I get one thing and then I move on to the next goal of acquisition. So you're constantly striving with this artificial goal. And if you lay hold of it, well, guess what? That thing is not secure. It may get lost or it may be stolen. It might... Be destroyed or the economy may completely crash so if that's where we find our value our joy our security our value joy and security will always be up in the air and thus we find the need for this second instruction do not be anxious so he has said do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because treasures don't last and while wealth can meet some of our needs it can't meet all of them in fact some of our most serious needs as human beings can't be addressed with money the Beatles taught us this lesson right money can't buy me love diamond rings sure genuine love not a chance money can meet some needs but it can't meet all of our needs but Jesus takes it a step further My life is more than the needs I have. Those needs are a part of me. They're real. They may be genuine needs. But they're not the totality of my identity. So it is from this destructive cycle that Jesus now offers his people a path out. So last week the the problem was diagnosed. The question now is, well, how do we break out of this vicious cycle of anxiety? Instances where we're overwhelmed with worry about our security or our future or keeping up or making something of ourselves. And I think the path we find forward that Jesus offers is in three distinct but interconnected ways. Number one, we grow in our recognition that everything we have today is a gift. It is all a gift. The purpose of life is not to win. It is to learn to love well. It is not a game. It is a gift. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look at the birds of the air. His invitation to look, to notice, to see God's hand, even in the ordinary and mundane, Some of these natural processes that are constantly taking place all around us and opening our eyes to see God's hand at work. It has commonly been said that gratitude is an antidote for anxiety or fear. And I know this sounds like a cliche, but as Bing Crosby sang in White Christmas, when you're worried and you can't sleep, just count your blessings instead of sheep and you'll fall asleep counting your blessings. If our seven-year-old was in here, she would be belting that song out right now, so I'm glad that she is next door. I'm not suggesting that gratitude will cure insomnia. I know that is not the case, but in my experience, it is a spiritually Mentally, emotionally miraculous activity that can bring some immediate clarity and some immediate relief to worry as our minds are habituated to the countless ways God upholds us. The simple act of recognizing and voicing gratitude for God's provision can have the power to sort of shock us out of that feedback loop of worry we so often get stuck in as a part of my uh, prayer routine over the years, I have incorporated a version of the prayer of exam, and I've talked about this in the past. But at the end of the day, as I prayerfully walk through the moments of that day, I begin by trying to pay attention to the simple pleasures I experienced that day, to my basic needs that were met, really mundane And to be honest, it is every day just about an inexhaustible list. I'm not suggesting that it has eradicated worry from my life, because I can still worry with the best of them. But it is tremendously helpful. So I think about the day that has just passed, the first thing. I think about the gift of coffee, I Try to pause there. I think about the aroma and how that's why I get out of bed. I think about the taste and, and how coffee gives me the ability to open my eyes and have a meaningful interaction with a human being. Or I think about the first sweet good mornings I heard from our girls, and while I wish they didn't come so early, I then begin to allow my mind to wander and explore the ways in which I am thankful for our girls and thankful for Nanette. and just allow my mind to wander in each of those small, um, mundane things. And, And it sounds very ordinary, even as I describe it now, but I assure you the impact that it has had on my interior has been incalculable. So we see, we notice God's hand of provision at work all around us. Secondly, as we practice noticing and acknowledging God's care for all of creation and for us in the past, through gratitude, we develop the frame of mind to then move into the future and renew trust in God's provision moving forward. These are, of course, closely connected to one another, but central to both, I think, is the reality or the invitation by Jesus to see that God is not far off and aloof. We, we sang about this a few moments ago, just a closer walk with thee. God, God is not a distant manager who shows up every once in a while to whip things into shape when they get really out of hand. I, I've worked in environments like that. I worked in a, years ago in a um, coffee shop chain and you can imagine where that was. And we had a district manager um, who was very, of course, very disconnected from the daily operations of the store, Uh, but on the rare occasion when she visited in person, as soon as employees saw her SUV pull into the parking lot, it was a mad dash to make sure everything in the shop was in tip-top shape exactly as it was supposed to be. And sometimes I wonder if, This is how we often conceive of God. Distant, basically unconcerned, only showing up when things are in shambles. Jesus reminds us, I I think, that that couldn't be further from the truth. And I think he does it repeatedly in this sermon. Here are some of the truths that are baked into the sermon that we have been working through over the spring. It began with the Beatitudes and... And one of the indications of God's blessing is that we are children. We're blessed in our being children. We progress through the sermon. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. Sends rain on the just and the unjust. Again, some of these natural processes at work in our world. We move on to his instruction, teaching us how to pray. And how do we begin our prayer? prayers? Our Father in the heavens. Not some far-off distant galaxy, but our Father in the heavens everywhere. As close to us as our next breath. We move on. God sees what happens in secret. So when you pray, go in your closet, shut the door. And what nobody else sees your father sees. Or when you give alms, when you give charity, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And when you aren't even aware of what's going on and the intricacies of your situation, your father in heaven sees it and will reward you. And then here again, the passage we're reading today, actively upholding the tiniest parts Of the created order. Verse 30 But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need. Them all. So don't be anxious about it. And being anxious about these things, the reality is it won't substantially improve the situation. A moment ago, we read where he says it won't add a single hour to your lifespan. In fact, what much more recent medical studies have revealed is that habitual anxiety actually has the opposite effect on our health. I'm sure some have experienced the negative impact of anxiety i know i have and it's a great irony that we are worried about our needs and our health and our survival and living the good life and that very worry we entertain itself is detrimental to our physical mental spiritual health so don't seek after these things it won't improve Your situation. Verse 33 But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Really encouraging thought there at the end. So finally, I think Jesus shows that while our wealth, our material possessions, aren't intrinsically evil, I I don't think this is a compulsory opting out of contemporary monetary systems, but we are invited to redirect the focus of our investments. He seems to tap into here the desire that we often have to invest in the future, to invest in something that will last. So instead of of an entirely self-centered future investment in stuff that won't last, it isn't secure, and won't matter in the age, age to come, instead of investing in that way, invest in God's kingdom today. Invest in God's restorative justice. Invest in his future even now. Our possessions aren't only meant to meet our needs or to secure our future, but to participate in God's reign in the small but important ways we can today. And this not only benefits the world around us, as we can meet some real needs, but it also benefits us because, as Jesus said earlier in this section, our hearts tend to follow the money. If we are investing in treasures on this earth, that is where our hearts go. That's what becomes most important to us. That becomes the filter through which we run every decision. If we invest exclusively in earthly treasures, eventually we may become calloused we may become insensitive to the ways in which God is inviting us into the reality of his reign today. If, on the other hand, we invest in God's kingdom and his righteousness, in his restorative justice, as ethicist Glenn Stassen has put it, we are investing in a future that is secure and a future that actually means something beyond this life. Notice here that Jesus doesn't say, Don't worry because your needs aren't a big deal. Or don't worry because nothing is wrong in the world or in your life. Don't worry because your worry is not going to change the particulars of the situation. You can act to change the future to some degree, but worry certainly isn't going to accomplish that. There is going to be trouble tomorrow. Jesus assures us of that. Sufficient is the day. And it is its own trouble. There will be trouble tomorrow. The old philosopher Willie Nelson taught us this. Out here on this highway, one thing stays the same. It's going to find me. Trouble knows my name. There will be trouble tomorrow, tomorrow. But worry today isn't going to prevent that trouble. I think about the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness after their delivery from slavery. And we read God providing manna for their survival. But but what happened if they attempted to hoard? It would spoil. It would decay. It didn't last. An important lesson being taught for real people with real needs that God provides. And tomorrow when they're hungry again God would provide needs difficulties challenges they are waiting for us and I'm sorry that this is where we're at for Mother's Day but that's where we're at worry about those needs that are sure to come is not going to eliminate the challenge What is more, at least in my experience, the majority of instances in which I fret over possible negative outcomes, and maybe this is because my mind tends to go to worst case scenario, but the majority of times I fret over possible negative outcomes. The reality of that outcome, even if it does come to pass, isn't typically as devastating as the scenario my imagination can concoct. Sometimes it may be usually it's not so this warning to be to to not be anxious about our needs what we will eat or wear this is something i think that as a community of faith as individuals following jesus we must take seriously and primarily i think it's for each of us to be invited into a time of introspection for us to take, not, not something for us to project onto somebody else who finds themselves in a place of need. It's not all that helpful if I see somebody with a genuine physical need to say, eh, don't worry about it. Jesus cares for the sparrows and look at the lilies. Your security and joy aren't found in this stuff. So if you're going to bed hungry tonight, remember food is not the sum of your life. Which, those are things Jesus has taught us. But I do think his life and his teaching reveal that this is not a simplistic answer or solution to the genuine needs all around us. I mean, think about it. We find Jesus himself routinely meeting basic needs. Think of Jesus feeding thousands of people with hungry bellies. Why? Because that need matters. Or think of all of the miraculous signs that Jesus does. Bringing God's future into this present moment. Because those needs matter. This is not a willful ignorance of those needs. Or think about the prayer that he taught us to pray. We pray, we ask God for provision today. Because my need for provision today Matters. When you give alms, when you give charity, do it like this. It is important because those needs that charity is addressing, they matter. They are a part of us, but they are not the totality of our identity. So this is the tension we exist with. And I think in the face of these complex realities, we are invited. To forego investing in just our future, but to invest in God's future. And why? Because that is an investment that lasts. I don't think Jesus is critiquing our desire to invest in something that is meaningful. I think he seems to be redirecting that desire to something that is more than a chasing after the wind. Inviting us to... Not be satisfied with empty or incomplete pleasures, welcoming us into investments that lead to genuine joy, participation in the reality of his reign. So this is where I I want us to land today. A path out of the vicious cycles of anxiety that are often related to our security and to acquisition. Number one, we recognize... That all we have is a gift of God. We acknowledge and trust that God will take care of us, whatever tomorrow holds. And we're reminded that our wealth, our possessions, aren't only for our future or to be invested to meet our needs. But with them, we seek first God's kingdom. This is a future worth investing in. I invite you to consider this text with me as I have been mulling it over over the past several weeks and allow the words of Jesus to challenge you and beckon you into a different way. Thanks be to God. Would you stand as we gather to celebrate around the Lord's table? We celebrate the deliverance and the salvation that Jesus brings. And one of the ways that deliverance and salvation is expressed to us in a very real way is this conversation. This path out of cycles of anxiety. I invite you into the freeing reality of God's gift of life to you. Going to make two lines down these center aisles when you get to the front can take the elements. You'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. I'm going to say a prayer by way of invitation and then invite you to the table. Lord Jesus, as we reflect on your words, warning us of the dangers associated with these empty pursuits of acquisition and striving and straining, Pause in this moment to allow your light to shine in our lives, to highlight ways in which we have become wrapped up in those concerns. We are grateful for the path out of those cycles, and we pray that you would give us the courage to walk that path, a path that seems difficult in the present moment, but a path that is liberating and freeing. So we pray, most loving Father, you will us to give thanks for all things, to dread nothing but the loss of you, and to cast all our care on the one who cares for us preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties, and grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal, and which you have manifested unto us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you join us at the table of our Lord?